What's up, guys? You're listening to The Quest, a podcast that inspires founders and creators to seek eternal growth. I'm Justin Kahn, co-founder of Twitch and partner at Goat Capital. Every week, I sit down with icons and trailblazers from tech, Hollywood, sports, music, and more to uncover their human stories and bring you lessons in finding meaning and happiness beyond success. It's often easy to talk about winning, but I'm here to share the difficult stories that are often left out of the spotlight. I ask the questions nobody else asks, and you'll get the answers you won't hear anywhere else. I get a ton of Twitter DMs every day asking me something along the lines of, Hey, Justin, I want to be a great founder, and I have this amazing idea in my head, but I don't really know how to start building it. What do I do? I always tell young founders to just get started and ship something. Luckily, the days of needing to hire a designer or relying on VC funding just to get started are over with apps like Universe. Universe is not just any website builder. It's literally one of the easiest tools out there to customize your unique site that fits your personality. With this app, you don't need to spend hours sitting at a desk building your site. With their grid editor that easily lets you snap blocks into place, you can design and customize your site wherever you are and however you want, all from the palm of your hand. If you're feeling overwhelmed and don't know how to get started on your company, check out Universe and get started building today. We'll drop the link in the show notes. What's up, guys? It's me, Justin Kahn, your favorite founder's favorite founder. And today I'm joined by my good friend, James Bashara. What's up, guys? Glad to be here. You could say I'm favorite founder's favorite founder's favorite founder. Would that be fair to say? That's, that's, we'll get, I'll give it to you. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> give, right, it, I'll give it to you. Um, so today we're going to make a uh, video on what not to do in your startup. Because both of us have, I would say, a little bit more than a small amount of experience on what not to do. A decade of what not to do in, in my book. So James is a serial entrepreneur. He uh, was the founder of Tilt.com, which was the easiest way to raise money for anything. I used it to raise money for a party bus back in the day. I know in the world of GoFundMe, that seems like kind of lame, but, but I, that's what I did. And uh, With aspirations to use it to cure AIDS, I think you were also thinking of along those humanitarian through lines as well. I don't even know if I could pretend. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, so it was pretty cool. It was kind of like Kickstarter for anything. And I actually invested in the company. Uh, and you guys went on to raise what? 20, 30 million dollars? 70 million. Oh, shit. Burned through seven, 68 of it over five years. And yeah, had a sideways acquisition to Airbnb, which you obviously know about. Lost the majority of your money, which I'm sorry about. <laughs> it's uh, not the first time. But it is a, it's a little bit of a case study in being friends. You can lose your investors' money and still be friends on the other side. Yeah, which is, you know, that's great. Dude, well, I make up in friendship what I lost you in, in you know, your bank account. In dollars, exactly. <laughs> um, Hopefully. But more importantly, James has bounced back. He's now an investor, angel investor. You have a small fund, right? And then also the founder of a new product that I like and have invested in. I invested after I tried using it called Magic Mind. Today, we're going to talk about what not to do in your startup from two experts who have done almost everything wrong. And it's not that kind of bullshit, I did everything wrong, but somehow I have Amazon. Like, I made all these mistakes. My whole career is mistakes, but somehow I just like, Amazon is Amazon and I'm, you know, Jeff Bezos. No, it's not. We actually immolated $70 million a piece learning what not to do just so that we could make this video. The seventy million dollar MBA. No, it's one hundred forty million. Hundred between the two of us. One hundred forty million each. Okay, <laughs> so I have a list of things, James. I put on the spot. I didn't get any time to prepare, and then we'll just go. We're gonna riff on on each one. Here's my first one: Don't wait forever to start your company. 
like I've seen tons and tons of people. They're always like waiting for the perfect opportunity. They're psyching themselves out. They work at a big company. They say they want to start a startup, but they basically uh, they don't do it because they're they get scared. They want the perfect opportunity. They want to de-risk it 100%. That's like my number one. Dude, yeah, especially if you're building if you're building a company around the ego, um, then you do have a lot at stake. But if you're building your company around a learning expedition, um, then you almost you almost have nothing at stake. Because I we joked about it being a hundred forty million dollar MBA, but honestly, building a business is it's one of the cheaper ways to get an MBA. I mean, I got paid for I got a salary at least after a while, <laughs> and it was cheaper ultimately than an actual MBA. And it's, it, honestly, if that's what you build your ego around learning instead of some big outcome in your head, then yeah, you should yeah. start yesterday. Love that. All right, what's one that you have? One that I think about a lot is actually Jeff Bezos that said this, and I was like, shit, I wish I had heard that years prior, but he said he has a commitment to truth and not consistency. Yeah. And I had a massive commitment to consistency of like, well, I said this a month ago. Our team already started building this three years ago. And it makes you semi-allergic to new insights. Yeah. And so it was like, no, I told investors I was going to build this. Even 13 months after a conversation with investors, I would still feel this drive to like stay consistent. I told them we were going to build this instead of being much more flexible to insights. And possibly learning and pivoting earlier. Right. Yeah. I was too hard-headed around that. There's a lot of momentum around startups where you've told all these people, I'm going to do this thing. Everybody's kind of lined up to build it, all the product teams, the marketing team, whatever else. They've lined up to do your vision. And then you're like, if you have doubts, you're kind of like, well, I want to stuff it down because there's too much at stake. I got to go on this like this path. And I got to stick on it. I don't want to be someone that's changing their minds, but it's actually, that's like the hallmark of of wisdom and the ability to take in and searching for insight is changing your minds collectively, but also st obviously starting with the founder. I love that. All right, here's another one. Don't start a services company. It's fucking terrible. Like, what's the services company? A services company is one where you get paid for your time. Um, basically, if you're getting paid for your time or you're employing people who are getting paid for their time, number one, those types of businesses are not valuable because they're entirely based on the talent sticking around and uh, effectively, the margin gets compressed to zero as things get competitive for the talent, uh, you know, and competition starts bidding up the price of talent. It's not a high leverage company. If you build a product company like uh, Twitch, if you stop working on it, it will continue to be valuable, right? Like it's it's something where you have leverage uh, and you're not always beholden to, you know, you're not on the grind of like doing more and more work and you're just monetizing your hours. That's a lesson that I did not learn the first time. I didn't learn the second time. I have finally learned it now. What are some other businesses that you would never start now that you've seen behind? You invest in a bunch and you've seen behind the veil. Yeah, that's a great question. So ones that I've started that I would never start, cleaning company, for sure. Law firm, for sure. And how come? Why on the cleaning company? Well, cleaning company, it's like super low margin. Uh, everyone expects something different. In a services company, all the clients expect different things, right? Like someone might want their house very thoroughly cleaned. Someone else might want it super cheap. But they're buying the same service, and then if you do it super cheap, then the person who wants it thorough might be really pissed off. If you do it super thorough, but it takes a lot many hours, and the person who wanted it cheap will, will be pissed off. So it's really hard to make everyone happy. You know, um, that's one of the things. And the same is true. You think that's only for cleaning, but it's also true for law firms, right? Some clients might never want to talk to you, right? They just want to not think about it. They want to outsource it to you. Others might want to like know every single detail. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the problem with the services company is just delivering the service is very, very tough to do consistently well for all different types of clients. Right. 
and even month to month, year to year, what you were delivering, yeah. 12 months. Whereas, yeah, with a bottle or yeah, a bottle with, of liquid, it's the it's same like, thing. What, what's your margin? It's like high margin. It's probably like 70, 80%. You just ship them the bottle. This is what you get. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't change very much. Yeah. The, one of the mistakes that uh, we made, and the, I look back and it's like, God, that was so painful, was uh, lack of focus. The biggest mistake that, that I made was not realizing that once you start mining for gold somewhere, yeah. And you find some gold, there's probably a shit ton of gold. Just keep mining that. Yeah. And I would get addicted to the beginnings of new things. And like, I'm addicted in general to the beginnings of things. Yeah. And so I'd be like, oh, okay, that's going pretty well. Let's, I bet we could find another gold mine over here. Yeah. And let's basically dilute our efforts over here. And then honestly, we, I remember at one point we were building three products that people lukewarm liked. Yeah. Not a single product that people loved. And that, when I look back, I'm like, that was, that was the point in which there was no return because I had diluted all of the, the efforts, the resources. We were years in and we ended up looking for a gold mine and we basically had like three freaking iron mines. That's really interesting because um, I was talking about that with Emmett and about Twitch and I think the same thing was true with Twitch. It's true even in the later stages of companies where one thing was working, right? Like on, on the monetization side, how they were making money. One strategy was working and it was like, oh, we should pay attention to these other strategies that aren't working as well. But really, in retrospect, years later, he's like, actually, I should have just paid attention to the one that was working really well because right. that one had another 10x to go and fuck these other strategies. Like, right. these are like a waste of time. They're a distraction. Dude, that's exactly what I was doing. I was like, we had a, maybe we had a copper mine. Maybe we, it was like, maybe gold mine. This metaphor is getting tired. But I basically was like, no, we need to like dilute our efforts on purpose because there's something valuable way over here or over here. And you're totally right. I mean, it's like, that's why focus is hard is because you're basically saying, I got into this for the excitability of creating things, but you're like, I'm gonna go headlong in for the year after year optimization of the thing that you've created. Yeah, and that's the curse of being an entrepreneur. That's why it's hard, right? Is because the same energy that got you to start it, which is like, oh, I wanna see a certain vision in the world. The energy that gets you that, that first step of the way and gets a product out there, that's not gonna carry you the next 99%, right? Like coming up with the design for Magic Mind and the bottle and the formula, that's like part of it. And then there's like, okay, I got to figure out how to sell a bunch of suppliers and like do online marketing and like test a bunch of different advertising campaigns every day for the next five years. Dude, there's nothing. Yeah. And I mean, in many ways, I guess there are, there are creative aspects to them, but you create it and now it's just a bunch of optimizations around um, mining that gold mine as much yeah. as possible. Sure. I hope you guys are enjoying the conversation so far. On this podcast, I always preach about practicing gratitude. And today, I'm thankful for our sponsor, Cash App, in making the quest possible. Cash App is the best way to spend, save, and invest in stocks, as well as buy cryptocurrencies in a way that's easy to understand and accessible for everyone. From payments to banking to investing, you can do it all on one platform. It's available for download on the App Store and Google Play, so you better go get that 10 bucks your friend owes you from two years ago. Now let's get back to the episode. Oh, here's one. Don't start companies with co-founders that you just met without working with them a little bit first. You know, one thing that I think is really important is values alignment, making sure that when you work with somebody, you and them have the same values. And I think that's critically important because that when disagreements happen, it's usually because underlying values are different. Like there's no right answer. It could be like some people value efficiency in the workplace, other people value FaceTime, right? Some people value, they want to grow a company to sell it and make money. 
Uh, other people want to grow a company forever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so having those values alignment on what's important, how you want to like run a company is is really critically important. And oftentimes I see founders like, I need to work with a programmer because I have an idea and I need a programmer. So who's a programmer? Like literally who's there, you know? Right. <laughs> and I think that can lead to a lot of downstream negativity. One of the biggest mistakes that I remember making is is choosing people based on basically like, will they validate that this is worth working on like yeah. will they will they join me and i was just so surprised people would join me i actually wasn't picky enough i wasn't greedy enough yeah. of like no no, no you re i really need to take as much time as possible um because we would bring on our early employees i love my co-founder but our early employees many of which was just like who would enthusiastically pair it back to us that this is worth working <laughs> yeah. on and, and no one, you know, no one wants to be alone and no one wants to be just completely isolated working on something. And so, especially early on in, in your career, it's so tempting to just bring on your best friend or your roommate that doesn't have a job, but is really excited about the potential of something versus being greeter, pickier on like, okay, what is the competency that this fills that we don't have? Yeah. Whenever you can be selective, uh, on who can join your company, I mean, talent is everything. Like the best companies that I know in Silicon Valley got the best people like that was it they were just the pickiest on people they ruthlessly recruited the most talented people that they knew that's the whole game really it's like talent is the differentiator what are some recruiting mistakes that you made yeah one recruiting mistake you always want to do background reference checks <laughs> it's like what happened yeah when I mean, you interview someone you're gonna say hey do you have references we'll call those people and talk to them and ask them what kind of person do you need to surround this person with? Not like what are their weaknesses because they'll soft pedal weaknesses, but just like what are the things you need to compliment this person with? Because that tells you what this person perceives of that, that person's weakness. And then I try to get in touch with people who this person did not actually knows them through their organization. And I have discovered some bombs. Like I've had people say like, do not hire that person no matter what, who worked in this, you know, I was a hiring exec, it was someone in this organization. You know, you can't get that through non-background reference. You know? Yeah, it's like the phrase, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Doing that extra 20 minutes. It's not even like, yeah. you know, emailing a few people that might have worked with them, and, you know, triangulating into those people and then doing the calls with them for 10, 15 minutes each. That could save you three months of unwinding yeah. a mistake in, in recruiting. I, I didn't pay enough attention to just the fact that problems start at the door most of the time. Yes. And I did not realize that. I was like, come on in and then we'll figure it out to see if you're a fit. And that becomes so, so much more painful on the other side. And this is a kind of a meta mistake as well is I was so focused on the results of filling the chair with someone good yeah. that I didn't build out the process. We didn't build out enough of the process to where then you'd find someone that's pretty good and then be like, wow. And this is the, the, the downside is that then you're like, well, it's going to take so long to find someone else. Yeah. Let's try, let's try let's this try person. Let's, let's try, try to make it work. work. But if you have a badass process, then yeah. you're like, no, fuck this. I don't know, there's a couple yellow flags. I'm not feeling it. And we've got four other people that could be a great fit. You're so much stronger if you have those alternatives. Sure. And I think that's one of my next mistakes is my focus on results, metrics, funding milestones and not enough around process. Yeah, well, actually I'll riff on that and say, never try to make it work. If you have a doubt about an employee, there is no doubt. Yeah. And in your, when you're a startup, you have limited resources, limited time, limited attention. My advice is always, you should let that person go as soon as possible and pay them whatever severance you have to do to make it guilt-free for you. 
Mm. So like if you have hired someone, you're like, oh shit, this person is not a culture fit. They're not able to do this job that or they're not adaptable to like pivot to the next job or whatever. And that person is basically sitting in the seat of someone who could be crushing it at the job. And what you really need to do is say, hey, thank you for joining. I messed up defining these job requirements and in the recruiting process. And here's like three months severance, six months severance, whatever it takes for you, you know, and, and uh, this is not a good fit. To where they're kind of happy yeah, with, like, with the massive well, generous you know, severance. Yeah. And you're like, wow, this, that's such a good point to, to where it's guilt-free because then you really don't hesitate on that. And yeah. they, they don't, God forbid, they build out a team and then you have to unwind that. Yes. It's, that is, I think that's worth underscoring what you just said of if there is any doubt, there is no doubt. Dude, this, that one's a gold mine. That one's going to save somebody like years of their life. And that really is like, as a younger founder, it's so easy to be like, well, what do I know? I, mean, I, yeah. I don't know what an expert looks like. But the truth is, I learned this at Airbnb, a, a great hire delivers 120% of what you expect to where there is no fucking doubt at all. You're basically like, whoa. Yeah. Every big problem like, you walk their way. It, it, like the test is like, I can't imagine surviving without this person, right? right? Right. versus, oh man, I wish I could go back and make a different decision and not hire this person, then you know. You know in your heart. Right. That's such a great concretized point of like, if you're having doubts right now and you're thinking about teammate X, Y, or Z, put the plan together, exactly what you just said, put the plan together to separate because that is a ticking time bomb. The doubts never go away. No one ever comes back and uh, and it just might not be a fit for any number of reasons, but you are hearing it now and you now know as you're listening to this, as you're watching this, you probably need to part ways. Yep. Oh, here's a good one for the both of us. Don't just raise a shit ton of money just because you can. Dude, you can overwater a plant. <laughs> yes, you can overwater a plant. That's a great way to put it. Like, it is so tempting to be like, well, my friend just raised a million dollars, so I should have a million dollars. Ten million dollars, so I should have ten million dollars. A hundred million dollars, so I should have a hundred million dollars. And so on and so forth. Because... Human beings are comparative by nature, right? You look at other people around you and you're like, you want to be doing as good as them. You know, that's that's human nature. And fundraising, even though it might seem like very aspirational and out of this world to raise $100 million, eventually you're in that world and you're like, oh, my peers are doing this, so I should be doing this. Comparison is absolutely cancerous in the entrepreneurial game. Because we were in the same batch of Y Combinator and the, some of the best companies in our batches, they were so under the radar. Yeah. It wasn't like, I can't believe they overcame that. It was the brilliance of them just whittling away until they had something that people really loved. I was so scared that we weren't gonna get there that I was like, oh, out of insecurity, let's go raise 500K in the beginning. And I thought, okay, once we get that, we're gonna be able to solve all of our problems. Yeah. And then it was 2 million, and then it was 12 million, and then it was 35 million. And I was like, oh, solutions are right on the other side of, of yeah. funding. And it's never the case. Yeah, it's the ba it's bats backwards. Only put money, like money will just exacerbate your problems if you don't have product market fit. Because then you'll be like, I'm going to solve this by hiring a shit ton of people and putting them in a room. And they're smarter than I am, so they're going to figure it out. Well, turns out more people does not help solve product market fit, right? And then you're going to say, well, every problem that comes your way, you're going to solve with money. So like, oh, people are complaining about the facility. So let's get a bigger office. Let's have snacks. Let's have lunch. Let's like, you know, provide car service, whatever it is. And the problem is then you're going to have this huge cost basis, like operational expense, uh, and it's just a heavy lift to be able to ever become profitable on that. And like we were saying earlier, some of the other mistakes are directly tied to how big you grow the organization, and then it really is difficult to 
change your mind, absorb some new insight and say, okay, we need to turn the the 18-wheeler and we're in an alley versus when you stay small. I think this is a true point for whether you're building a, you have a food truck or whether you are building a massive software business with a thousand employees to just double down on what you're saying. Money will exacerbate whatever is already happening. Problems exacerbate it. If you got a great solution, pour money on it. It'll exacerbate the solution. Sadly, we had something that people lukewarm liked. Money became the solution to every problem we had. Of like, all right, let's solve it with people. Let's solve it with money. Let's solve it with people. Let's solve it with money. And I've never seen that work out in the startup realm in a hundred investments and building companies for 14 years. For sure. For sure. This is something you and I have chatted about with, and it's um, focusing on results over process. Obviously, it becomes a train wreck with recruiting if you're focused on just filling the seat versus the whole funnel and the process of finding great candidates, great talent. But in everything that I look back that I did in my 20s, so much of it was so milestone-based. And I don't know, maybe it's like just the educational system is you've got to pass these tests and yeah. it's these, and then you get into this program and it is these milestones and you get your degree. But in building a startup, it was in my mind, it was like, get to this growth metric so then we can raise funding to f- solve problems. And it was this constant next step, get to this growth metric so we can solve these problems. And then one day we're going to have this massive company that maybe 40% of me felt like was going to improve the world and 60% of me was just ego engineering, financial engineering. And that was the outcome that I was trying to go after. And it just crumbled under the weight of all of these ambitions and no solid processes beneath them for getting those growth metrics or getting the funding for what we were talking about, the actual solutions you've come across you want to blow out of the water with, with funding. It was the single biggest mindset mistake that I had was hated process. Yeah. And it was just, let's make it 10 days from now to some result over and over again. Um, okay. One I have is don't just build whatever's in your head without talking to your customers. We spent five years at Justin TV in the dark, just building what we thought was like a live video site that we thought would be cool. And some people used it, but we never really understood what our customers wanted until Emmett was like, Hey, we should focus on gaming. And then he went and talked to a bunch of gamers and the end result was Twitch. We, we ended up building something that was really resonated with a certain community. And I feel like that is such a big mistake that people have in the early days. What, may, what makes a founder not want to talk to users? One I think fear is what makes it, you know, you're uncomfortable thinking like, oh, I have this idea and maybe people won't like it. So right. I'll just build it and then they'll use it. It's a fantasy, right? It's easy to have the fantasy of like, if I don't talk to anyone, I just build it. Then people will anonymously come and use it. And then I'll be revealed to be a genius. Or the super junior one of like, oh, someone's going to steal my idea. So I don't want to tell anybody about it. I think that that is tied to a mistake that I think about a lot is I don't think anyone should start something to run away from something. It should be you want to start something, not because you got a shitty job, not because you want to circumvent the system and be your own boss, but you should start something because you want to run towards something. With Tilt, it was like, man, I want to be my own boss. Yeah. I want to, oh, I want to have a team that works for me. And I hate my current job. This fucking sucks. So I want to run away from it. And, uh, and hopefully this is going to be, you know, a, a quick ticket to big bucks. Yeah. And that works some of the time, but it never carries you all the way. It can get you started, right? It can get you started. The motivation to like not do something can get you started. And I would say it's not sustainable. It's kind of an unhealthy way. And eventually you have to pivot to having some sort of intrinsic motivation about the actual thing itself. Um, one other one that we kind of touched on was don't just hire a shit ton of people early on. 
you know, I think before you achieve product market fit, having the team be as lean as possible is, is super important because like the more people you have, the harder it is to, to pivot, to make different moves, to kind of cover that actually. Here's one last one I'll throw out and then we'll see if James has any other final thoughts. Don't tie your ego to your startup. Yes, I'm so glad you, yeah. you said that, yes. Human life is full of ups and downs. No matter where you are, who you are, you're going to have ups and downs and nothing in the world is under your control. Not even the thoughts that you think. You know, There's going to be thoughts in your mind, let alone the things that happen in the outside world that are outside of your control. And oftentimes we think, oh, you know, my startup is under my control and if it's not going well, that's my fault and I'm doing something wrong. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good founder. I suck. And one, it's unhealthy. And two, it's not true. But three, it's not sustainable. It's not actually optimized for success because that type of thinking is what's going to get you burned out and make you quit. My last thing I was going to say is don't tie your identity up with your startup. No. Investors talk about portfolio theory where they make multiple bets um, in multiple spaces to weigh out the just the risk scenarios of startups. They're high risk. And yet, as investors, we can often encourage founders to have basically the exact opposite investment of their entire life and identity and ego into their startup. And maybe, like you were saying a few minutes ago, maybe it, it helps in the beginning, but that will drain your spirit yeah, so that will fast. Cry, it will destroy you. Yeah, it's it not a drain. Just, it will it destroy will, you. Yeah. It will annihilate your spirit when you're thinking, okay, seven days a week, this is the only thing that matters and life can wait on the other side. And it's like, okay, I need to catch this wave. I have to catch this wave. And everything about my life depends on me catching this wave. That will psych you out from making good decisions, from being free, loose. It'll make you just so uptight that you're a poor leader, poor person to work with. And you're going to end up, like you said, burning through your enthusiasm and energy that you have for your startup. If You almost want a portfolio theory of your mind to where you identify and touching on different parts of your life all seven days a week instead of this one area's yeah. only focus. Take it from two people who have been there. One final one that's really relevant to us being friends doing this video and talking about that is uh, when things are going poorly, I was so scared to tell investors like you. Mm. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I just have to solve these issues. And I felt like I needed to solve everything and I was terrible at asking for help. And that is the, that's the perverse opposite mentality that I see now on the other side great founders have when they're so upfront. Obviously, if someone just wants you to return, you know, 10x on their investment and that's all they want, then yeah, they aren't going to be that helpful. But 90% of the time, if you're vulnerable about what you're going through, what you need help with, people rush in to want to help. Same goes for your team members when you share something really difficult that you're going through. Everybody's adults. People love to be brought into the fold. And I didn't do a good enough job of that with Tilt, with you, and with other amazing founder investors around the table. And I look back and I was like, you're a fucking idiot because you missed out on all of this wisdom, support, and insight that I could have had in the trenches with us by thinking, no, no, no. I just did go away and I'll solve this and bring some, you know, Genius um, master plan. Junior ma genius master plan back to back to you. Yeah. We're going to do a little product. This is a product promo for Magic Mind. I'm not getting paid for this, though. I mean, I guess in, in theory, the company ends up to be worth something than I will have gotten paid indirectly. But you did ask to invest after just digging it, uh, which was very cool. So tell, tell us about what this is. The 10 second version is it's basically uh, one way I think it was like a healthier, organic, more effective five hour energy. Um, but another way of thinking about it is 
basically what I realized when I was drinking five, six cups of coffee a day. That's not healthy, told, bro. Not healthy. And I realized that it was not only sent me to the ER and I developed a heart condition from it, but it also was spiking my cortisol, my body stress hormone, and realized that it was actually low-grade pervasive stress and anxiety that was limiting my ability to whatever it was, get through 40 emails, go through a meeting without being super high stress. And so I wanted an energy, you know, morning ritual drink that also curbed my stress while also giving me energy. And there wasn't anything out there like it. So I ended up seven years ago tinkering around and now, yeah, seven years, almost eight years later, built a company around it. So, so this is like super coffee. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you want all of the energy of your morning ritual drink and you take it alongside your coffee, alongside your tea, but you want flow state, and anyone that's had like one too many coffees knows that that's the friggin', it, that's the opposite of flow state. You're all jittery and anxious. You take this with your first cup of, of coffee in the morning and then, no joke, seven to eight hours of just flow. You, your to-do list literally melts away and you're cruising. And I'm actually going to, uh, I'll create this after the show, but enter promo code Justin and I'll get you, it'll get you 50%. I'm literally making this all up, but it will, the promo code will exist on the other side of this video. 50% off in your first purchase. I do, what do I get? Like 10% uh, of that? Yeah, you'll get a rev share, rev share. share. Yeah. I'm not going to take anything. James wrote a book on all this stuff, adaptogens and supplements, basically. He wrote yeah. the book on supplements in order to build this product, right? Yeah, I basically wrote the book as like uh, end all beyond coffee. Um, and it was like an end all be all of all my knowledge over seven years. And then you were with me when we launched the book, the book launch party. And then everybody that read the book, they were just like, okay, just what should I take? And then they were like, here, buy this product. Yeah. Conveniently, I have this product. I have this book, I got this product. It was a year later, but yeah, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad segue of like, yeah solving the next problem people had is they were curious and now they just wanted the easiest way to drink something in the morning that would give them the best and i and i really do stand by this it is the best energy shot ever created all right that's it so you heard it here first shout out andreessen horowitz who funded both of our companies to be completely honest they're like the best investors in silicon valley um, they were for us too that's a really it's actually you were a great investor and when times went uh times weren't good same for them yeah and uh, so if you like this video, you know what to do. Smash subscribe, uh, turn on video notifications and bang that like button and I will be your best friend forever. Um, and go check out my podcast if you want. Yeah, check out his podcast, buy ungodly quantities of Magic Mind, you know, just IV it directly into your veins. Put it in your office, put it everywhere. Everybody's 40% Nobody's, nobody's going to their office. Okay, well, no one's it, going maybe if you discover this YouTube video and it's 2026, get it for your office. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys.